With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Going into the break, it's a massive win for your club. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Hayes is 200. Like, let us look way there towards the end. And just personally, I felt like it gripped me teeth a bit more for him. He's been an amazing um, influence on my career so far. They have five games, but he's one of the best blokes I've ever met. And um, standout character, really modest. And we'll have a win like that for him. Michael Barlow on Paul Hazelby after the great Paul Hazelby's 200th game for the Fremantle Football Club. Mate, we, did you did you tee up the lead-ins for your <laughs> for your segment? Like we got goals, we got highlights. I bring got... them in, Duff, and say play this or I'm not coming on. No, I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> Obviously, I was out there playing. I remember the 200th over there at uh, Marble Stadium, as it's known now. And Mickey Barlow, look, he was just saying that. He came in, took my spot in the midfield, and he had to say something <laughs> nice stuff. <laughs> so what what year was that? Was that 2010? 2010, yep. And who'd you beat? Uh, Western Bulldogs or Carlton. Carlton, sorry. Okay. Yep. Good game. Mate, I, I remember the 2003 second Western Derby, and I think it was your All-Australian year, correct? Yep. Do you have one All-Australian year or two All-Australian? No, just one. Just one. But 2004 was my better year. Yeah, but that was when you got you got the groin halfway through 2004, didn't you? No, I just got tagged halfway through 2004. Did you? Non-stop. Yep. Now, you did you did start off like a mm. a, a bloke with a wet sail behind him in 2004, then then faded a bit. All right, but we're not here to talk about you, Hayes. You sure? Talk, we'll, we'll keep going for 15 we'll if you want, though. talk about the Fremantle <laughs> Dockers. <laughs> Uh, and if you're out there listening, give us your thoughts on the Fremantle Dockers while Hayes is on with me, the temperate bedshed text line, 0487 736 736. So Hayes, they come from 23 points down. They beat Gold Coast by 10 at Norwood Oval. Uh, are you encouraged, convinced, or reserving judgment? Reserving judgment, certainly not convinced just yet. And there's a bit of a familiar pattern pattern that is happening with the Fremantle Dockers, they're poor starts. It's almost like they're feeling out their opposition. They're not going for it. And then they get behind and then they play the way they need to because they're forced to. They've got to take the game on. They've got to attack. And that's what they did in that second half. And in particular, the last quarter, they did get going. There's a few things there that did remind me of last year. And sometimes when you're under pressure as a coach, you go back to what has worked for you in the past. And the big one was Sean Darcy. But it was almost 90% ruck time. Jackson had to play as a standalone forward, which reminded me of Rory Lobb the year before. But he was the forward. The forward line was built around him. Jai Amos was there as well. They went a bit smaller in the front half. And their small forwards were really the difference, particularly in the first half, to keep them in it. Michael Walters having a sensational season. And also Lockie Schultz, some of his efforts, particularly late in the game, to stand up and absorb the pressure to allow them to kick some of those goals was enormous. Brennan Cox, all of a sudden at halfback, actually played on a man. I don't know what happened in the first half, but Jack Lacocious was everywhere. It's like he was invisible, wasn't it? I know. It was unbelievable. Spearman in the forward line. And it's not like he's not a well-known forward. Like, when he has the ball in hand, he's almost the best centre-half forward in the competition. Hayden Young came better in the second half after an average first half. So, you know, they got back to what we saw last year. Quicker ball movement, 
allowed some shorter options going inside their forward 50. Jai Amos, his specialty is leading up at the ball carrier. He was hit a number of times. So I take a bit from it, but I reserve judgment until we see them against the Western Bulldogs on Friday night. You mentioned Amos, um, and you say he's a lead-up forward. That's fine. It's, it's his specialty. Eight marks, three contested marks. Mm. For a guy that hasn't built an AFL body yet, he's very good in the contest. He holds ground really well. And you know, like, the key, and you know this because you were good at this. You were good uh, above your head for your size. You've got to be able to read the drop of the ball, and he seems to know where the ball is falling. So he's in that spot mm. and has to be shifted from that spot. Um, he's he's Special. Su- surprising me. Yeah, he's yeah. surprising well, me. Well, I said at the start of the year, 40 goals was on the table, and then he got dropped for round one. I couldn't believe that yeah. from what I saw last year. He's the one you got to invest in. And for whatever reason, they went towards Josh Tracy because I think Tracy – you know, showed everybody through the preseason that he's super fit, he's really keen, and sometimes you can fall for that as a coach, but it was the wrong move. He's now got six goals from four games, so keep that up. He's looking at 30-plus goals, and he's going to grow in confidence as the season unfolds, but he's also going to get some tougher matchups as well. But he's multi-dimensional. He can go up the ground. He took some of those marks around the wing. He can get back, and he normally is a really good kick. So there's a lot to like there. And it's amazing what you can get if you use your early draft picks to take good forward forward talent. And I think we spoke about last week, you look at Adelaide and all the forward talent they've got at the moment compared to Frio, who were probably a bit safer with their picks. They went towards some of those midfielders. And I think right now we're seeing a bit of a difference. Yeah, it helps to have a really good one land in your lap too. Like Rochelle, for example, Fremantle were mad keen mm. on Rochelle and he just didn't get yeah. through to them. You know, he climbed far enough to, to get past them and Adelaide got their hands on them. Um, you wrote a really good column in the West Australian, the two and five column. It was very clever, Hayes. Well done. Thank you. Um, smaller and quicker in the forward line. Explain to our listeners what you were talking about. Well, you go back to last year, what worked for them. It was Rory Lobb and early in the season, it was Matt Tabernard before he got injured. And then it was Jai Amos in the final series. So, you know, for Fremantle fans, we've been waiting for all these key forwards to push through, and they've tried a number of them across time. And then you get to the preseason. I reckon Longmuir's going, okay, we've got now Jackson into the team. We've got Amos there. We've got Josh Tracy. We've got Nathan Fife as well. Matt Tabernar is fit. And round one, he tried to put them all into the same team minus Jai Amos, and it just hasn't worked. And I think the ball movement plays a part in that as well. But what he... What has been successful is that two and five. So he went back to it. He just went with Jackson, who looked better up forward because he doesn't have to worry about going into the ruck and tiring himself out. He can judge his game based on being the key forward, Jai Amos as well, and then basing it around what is your strength. And if you look at the Dockers' strength over the last three or four years, it's been their small forwards. It's been Lockie Schultz, Switkowski, Michael Walters to a certain extent as well. Bailey Banfield's playing a pretty good role. There's a lot to like there. And you've also got Michael Frederick in that front half. And when you have four of them on the field, some of them can push up and help with the ball movement. So we saw Michael Frederick go up to the defence. He was the outlet kick a few times. And then his opponent has a choice. Do I go with Michael Frederick, which then opens up the forward line for the Dockers, or do I leave him? And if you leave Michael Frederick at half back, you're going to be chasing his tail for a fair period up the ground. And it just opens up a few different gaps through the midfield where I thought the Dockers were better at moving the ball from the back half. So a bit of speed, back that in. I think, you know, it'd be easy to bring in another key forward, but I'll just just take it easy. Go with those two for the next three or four weeks and see where it takes you. Matt Johnson had been a sub for a couple of weeks, played in the first 22. I, I love his poise in traffic. Mm. Now, he's, 
he only had 15 on the weekend. It's not a huge day. But when he gets the ball, he seems to know where space is. He seems to know where the outlet is, and the ball tends to find its way to the outlet. And he stepped up and kicked the big goal. It's hard to replicate and manufacture natural skill. He seems to have that. Uh, I'm thinking he stays in. What are your thoughts? I think he has to stay in, and I'm with you. He's a little bit like Scott Pendlebury in the way that he just delays things. And I reckon it's the key in modern footy is players that can delay their decision and fool the opposition is so important, whether that's just looking like you're going to feign to go one way and then handball the other way, catch the opposition out, put your player into space, away you go. The other one that the Dockers don't have but they need to ingrain in their game, I feel, is they've got a lot of players that are half back. They get the ball, they fly through, but they're long kicks. Look at Jordan mm. Clark sometimes. Hayden Young does it. Nathan Wilson is a long kick. He's a bomber. Yeah. You don't <laughs> want bombers. You no. need a player like a Dacos who can look to bomb and then all of a sudden just something catches his eye in the corridor or to the left or the right where he kicks 15 to 20 metres where the opposition is folding back or their defender's folding back and you catch that player and then you often, you know, couple that up with a handball received through the corridor. That is the best trait that you can have. And I reckon Johnson has that awareness around him that could actually add that to his game and also the Dockers' repertoire. So you're saying Johnson an option in defence? No, not in defence. But no. even if that player's got the ball in the midfield, right. on the wing, yep. because they're going to push back in defence, but they can make those decisions that just change the way the game's played forward of centre and open up a few gaps, encouraging more run. So you go short to then go long with the second kick. I think the Dockers have been going long from half back, which gets you to centre-half forward, but you've still got to win a one-on-one to get that next opportunity inside your forward 50. And that probably is symptomatic of their high inside 50 count, but Mm. low scoring, isn't it? 100%. So where are they going? But if you can break one up with a nice possession through the corridor, through a short kick, then all of a sudden that entry is going deeper. You've got space and you've got a forward, like we saw with Amos, with space around to lead up at the carrier or to go back towards goal and get kicked to advantage. Brody's injection into the game, what Mm. difference did that make? That was massive. And again, he's probably one that I missed out on in talking about what happened last year. He was brilliant last year. Sarong was brilliant as well and Brayshaw, the other one, who's probably just a little bit off with whatever that injury is that he's carrying. But his ability to come out of the front of the stoppage was really good. And there was a couple of times he got found by accident. I think there was a couple of shank kicks that came from Caleb Sarong. But he's so important. He's a contested ball winner. He's got to keep working on his ability to shut down his opponent at the right time when you have to spread defensively. But him kicking the ball inside 50 is probably not exactly what you want, but I felt like he did that on the weekend. And I was surprised that he was left out. If you mm. look at uh, that team on balance, and they were lucky in the end that Switkowski went out of the game, injected him, and Switkowski, let's hope he can get back in two weeks, an important player. But, um, yeah, Will Brody, Jay Gromira, still a bit of a watch for mine to see what they do with him and whether they continue with both of them. But I think you do in the short term. Sam Sturt only had six touches, but a couple of good inside 50s. Now, given that Switkowski's hurt, does he stay in the he team? He does, yeah. I think you've got to just give him a period here. Give him yeah. three or four. You've had him on your list for three or four years. You need to find out a bit about him. He's a natural forward. He's mm. smart with his leading patterns, and when he normally gets it, he makes good decisions. So six is not enough. You need to get that to 12 or 13. But I reckon with confidence and a coach backing him in, 
it will pay dividends over the next couple of weeks. Corey Wagner had a rough start. I think he did. Three of his first four were absolute clangers. But how did you assess his inclusion and performance? He said he was going to take the game on, didn't he? And he certainly did that. <laughs> I don't think Longmuir would be really wrapped with some of those early decisions. But again, it's a confidence thing. He's just back into AFL. It's all new to him um, here at the Fremantle Dockers. Yeah, persist with it, but. We do know in modern footy, you cannot be making blatant mistakes from your back half. So it needs to tidy that up. But there was a bit of run and dare from him. And I think that's the aggressive mindset that they need to take at the start of the game. Yeah. Not once you're 20 points down at the three-quarter time mark. Really be aggressive. Try and win the game early. And St Kilda are a good example. Their first quarters have been outstanding. And they've had three or four goal leads in a couple of them. And then you can shut the game down when you are in front. The Dockers are doing it backwards. Was that Luke Jackson's best game for Freo? It was, yeah. And there's a bit to like, and he needs a bit of credit for turning it around. It wasn't an easy initiation. Um, going back to what happened in the preseason, like I think they were seeing him every day through training going, wow, how good is this guy? He's taking big marks. But we know at preseason training, the pressure that you have on from your opponent is not the same. And his biggest battle is going to be body work on his opponent. Because when he's got body work, he's struggling a bit. He's getting his hands to so many balls. But when he gets a free run, that's when he's dangerous. And that's why he needs to be a forward built on work rate. And he needs to be a forward built on, you know, continuous movement to try and get away from that other body defender. Yeah. And it's almost like the structure that you mentioned, the two and five structure helps him do that, isn't it? And the fact that Amos can trade weight, even though he hasn't got any. Yep. He sets a really stable base, which is what Jackson doesn't do. Jackson sort of gets ready to do that two-foot f- two basketball jump. Yeah. And if you get bumped at that stage, you're gone. Whereas Amy sets a really stable base and is able to hold. Hey, And if you do go into the midfield, whether it's the ruck and they did play him as a midfielder as well, it takes a lot of energy to go and do that. So if he just knows that I've got to stay forward for 90% of the time, then he can judge his work rate and really be a, a player that when I go, I go and I get separation on my opponent. Is Caleb Sarong now Fremantle's best player? 100%. Oh, hang on. Sorry. Best midfielder. Best midfielder. Okay. Yeah. So Sean Darcy's their best player. Well, I think he's – when Sean Darcy plays well, they all play well. Yeah. Yeah. So he's their most important player. Yeah. Caleb Sarong doing so much right. Still love him to become a bit better forward of centre. Goal kicking, some of those passes inside the forward 50. But, geez, he's really put his hand up for the captaincy, hasn't he? I thought he was probably third in line. But for the first month of footy, five weeks, you have to say he's number one in line he's going a, forward. He's the next captain. Yeah, because he, he's such a high-standard driver, but he's also that guy that can get in the face of his teammates and really drive those standards home as well. He's got that bit of mongrel yeah. as well. Andy Brayshaw is a tough player. You know, he runs both ways. He does everything you want a player to do, but he hasn't got that bit of mongrel. Mm. Um, it doesn't mean he's weak or anything like that. He's just, he, yeah, he's a nice bloke. Whereas the other bloke, I reckon, you know, he's, you wouldn't want to play him in pool or a pub because he'd be winning you know, <laughs> and, and it would be whatever's required to win. Would you like to split them? So one misses out. Like, would that be an ideal scenario in the future if they do go for captaincies? I split them all. Well, let's just say Brayshaw is deserving, playing well. Sarong is deserving. Does one feel aggrieved? if they decide to go with one over the other? I don't know. It's a good question. And maybe why not joint captains? I mean, Sydney have been mm. doing it, and, yeah. and you can't complain about Sydney's results, really. This notion that, oh, it wouldn't work for us. Well, it works for Sydney. 
So, yeah, yep. interesting. One last one. You've been outstanding as usual. Um, will you tip them on Friday night against West Coast? Uh, against um, the Western Bulldogs? I will. You're going I to? I will. I'm going to. I already have. I've done my tips, so yep. both that uh, I do. I have selected them. The Bulldogs had a tough night on Saturday night. Wet game. Wet, mm. tough loss. I go back to what happened last year here. Fremantle, after conceding the first seven goals. Yep. In that final, found a way. So I think they do have the team that can beat the Western Bulldogs and because of the shorter turnaround that they had seven days and the Bulldogs six in wet conditions, I favoured Fremantle. And what sort of reception will our lob get from He'll get booed, and that's okay. There's been a lot of talk about booing, and I don't mind booing. If a player leaves your club in those circumstances, then I think the fans are so invested in the game, and that's why we have 50,000 that travel from – Victoria, some from WA, some from other states, go to a place like Gather Round because of the emotion that football brings. And I think they're entitled to boo players for particular acts, and we see it with Andrew Gaff, and we see it with also players that leave their club. I have no issue with it. He'll get booed. Um, did you like Gather Round, last one? Loved it. Did you? Yeah. But not Wish happy it. with the decision to extend by three. Yeah. Happy with this decision to extend, but three was going a bit too far. Paul Hazelby, folks, outstanding as always on the show. Give us your thoughts on anything Hayes has had to say on the Temperate Bedshed text line, 0487 736 736. We'll take a break and be back with more of Mornings with Mark Duffield.